today I want to speak to you on a subject I've entitled The Peacemaker. The Peacemaker. Everybody say The Peacemaker. Say it again, The Peacemaker. Let me have Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It is an excerpt from the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is one of the greatest sermons ever preached. In fact, I believe it's one of the, the portions of scripture that the most sermons have been preached out of. Very, very simple. Jesus' preaching was very, very simple. When he's preaching, you may feel like standing on your feet and, and folding your arms and saying, mm, mm, Revi, hey, speak to me. Speak to me. Okay. Very, very, very simple. Most of them were stories and things like that, but very, very powerful. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. So the Bible is saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So I can confidently conclude from this portion of scripture that if you are a child of God, you must be a peacemaker. Hallelujah. You must be a peaceful person. You mustn't be a person of anger. You mustn't be a person of wrath. You must be a peaceful person. Amen. Peacemakers are the ones who are called the children of God. Now let me contrast it with Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read from verse 1 to 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. I've shown you who the children of God are supposed to be. They are supposed to be peacemakers. Let me contrast it with... No, let me go to the... Let's go to the verse 2. Okay. All right, let's go to the one. Let's let's read from the one so that it progresses nicely. All right, it says, "And you had he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins." Next, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh. In the children of disobedience. Let's go to the verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the last of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Let's go back to the, the verse 2. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. When we talk about the prince of the power of the air, we are talking about who? Satan. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. I'm contrasting this with the children of God who are supposed to be peacemakers. Hallelujah. The children of disobedience. When you see a colon, it means it's explaining further. Next. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the last of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Semicolon. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. All he's trying to tell you is that the children of the devil are children of disobedience and are children of wrath. Wrath means anger. Hallelujah. So see the sharp contrast. The children of God are supposed to be children of peace. They're supposed to be people who walk in peace. Are people who live at peace with all men. And the children of Satan, or the children of the prince of the power of the earth, they are children of disobedience and they walk in the spirit of wrath. 
important thing for a believer to walk in peace with the people around you. This world has seen some children of wrath before. When we go into history, there are some people, some infamous people, and they were popular in codes because of their wickedness, because of their love for war, because of their hatred for peace. For example, somebody like Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler is one of the most hated people because his, his heart was full of hatred, his heart was full of wickedness. And these are children of disobedience, these are children of the devil. And you see, I always say anytime the devil wants to do something in the house of God, he will not use somebody from outside the church. He will look for somebody within. Look for your qualities that fit the job that he wants done. And he will use you to do it. If even apostles, Satan was entering them. They said, and Satan entered Judas. Satan looked through the disciples, the apostles. For that reader, for that purpose, or for that assignment, he needed somebody who loved money. A lot of people think Judas betrayed Jesus because he didn't like him. It's not because he didn't like him. He betrayed Jesus because fundamentally he was somebody who loved money. He was the treasurer. He was the one who used to keep the money in the church. And the Bible reveals that he used to steal from the coffers. This is somebody who loved money. The moment the woman with the alabaster box opened the thing and he smelled the fragrance, he knew the price. He knew the, 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 the brand of the perfume and he knew the price. He knew that if you put a year's wage together, that is when you can buy. This is somebody who was materialistic. This was somebody who loved money. So he said, no, this thing, we should sell it and come and put the money in the treasury and I will keep it. So Satan knew his heart. He wanted to do something within Jesus Christ's church. Let's put it that way. So he looked through there and said, no, this one, we must get somebody who loves money. Judas Iscariot went and betrayed Jesus because he saw an opportunity to make some quick cash. That attempt to arrest Jesus wasn't the first one. They had attempted so many times and then he would just pass somewhere and they would fail. He would just pass somewhere. So in his mind, okay, let me go and tell them that I will betray Jesus. In his mind, when they come, he will do his things. If the man can turn water into wine, he should be able to transmogrify himself from human flesh into air molecules and they won't be able to catch him. So in his mind, when they come, Jesus Christ will just disappear. But by that time, my Jamaica is Shilada. That was Judas Iscariot's mind. For him, it was an opportunity to make money. So Satan saw that quality in him and he came and used him. And the Bible says Satan entered Judas. So Satan is still entering people. When we say Satan enters somebody or Satan is entering somebody, I'm not talking about the fact that you are possessed. Satan can enter your mind take over your mind and you start doing things and you start seeing things the way you're not supposed to see things so there are people that satan enters me i believe adolf hitler satan entered him because some of the things he used to do people like joseph stalin and Mussolini, and if you've read a bit of history they were very wicked people these are people i believe satan entered and was using them adolf hitler's charisma was beyond human People could go for his rallies, and while the man is making those his rousing speeches, 
after the rally, people will come and they will swear that they felt like Adolf Hitler was talking to them one on one. It was like j- just them. It was as if he was standing in front of them talking to them. I saw a video that shocked me. This man was giving one of his rousing speeches and the people were listening so attentively. I was like, hey, what kind of anointing is this? Even preachers struggle to get people to listen to them. Preachers are free and people are, people are struggling to keep their eyes open. People were listening to him attentively and he took a step to the right. And automatically the whole crowd did the same thing. It's like, this is control. This, is, this one is demonic anointing. I've been moving here, here. Are you moving? You are seated comfortably. <laughs> you are comfortably seated. I don't think you just took a step, a step to the side. Everybody followed you like that. That's control. So Satan enters people. So he is looking for people who are predisposed to anger. People who don't love peace. So when he wants to disturb the peace in the home, if he wants to disturb the peace in the family, he wants to disturb the peace in the church, he looks at those people and Satan enters them. I pray that Satan will not enter you. Contrast people like Adolf Hitler to men whose names are mentioned in dispatches. There are certain people when they are mentioned, their names are revered in history. Look at somebody like Nelson Mandela. Anywhere you mention Nelson Mandela, it is followed by respect. Why? Because he was a man of peace. I don't know whether he was born again. I don't know whether he had the spirit of God. But some of the things the man did, even born again, postgraduate, tongue-stalking believers will not be able to do that. Can you imagine all the atrocities in, 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 in South Africa? The white domination and the way the blacks were being treated like they were not humans. He rose up, started fighting against the thing. They caught him, put him in prison. Not for one year, not for two years, but for 27 good years. And the place they kept them, Robin Island was, was a serious place. The whole idea of Robin Island was an island. The prison was an island, so no escape. If you escape, are you going to get the ride from the sharks and the whales to come to the shore? No escape. If you are there, you are there. And there was hard labor and they were beating them and treating them badly. The whole idea was that you, the political prisoners, want to kill your spirit. Treated them very, very badly, 27 years. He was in prison and hearing of the things that they were doing to his people. A woman who give birth to a child, nurture the child, the child goes to become a teenager. One day, policemen, white policemen just go to the high school and start spraying people. Oh, young, we heard of things like the Soweto massacre. All kinds of things. People were being killed. Places whites who go to, they'll say, you black, don't go. Meanwhile, it is your land. The gold and the things is, 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 is for your ancestors. The land belongs to your ancestors. Very, very unfair. This man stayed in prison for 27 years. The world agitated and finally he was released. They did an election. He became, everybody knew he was going to win. He became president of South Africa. Everybody was expecting the, 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 the inauguration speech. Inaugural speech. Everybody was expecting him to come and say, this is the time for revenge. Now we have the power. That which you did to us, we shall repay you a thousandfold. <laughs> That's what people were expecting. A revenge speech, a hate speech, and he shocked the whole world. He said he's not going to preside over any bloodshed. That his whole life, what he has been fighting against is discrimination. And he wasn't fighting just against discrimination against blacks, but he was fighting against discrimination 
towards all human beings. So the whites and the blacks will be the same. Some were disappointed, otherwise they were like, ah, give us the chance, we want to show these people something. He said it is peace that we want. And that was a smart move because even though the blacks were in power, the wealth of the country was still in the hands of the white people. So you start, the, the, things will just go haywire. So the hatred was still there. The man worked hard to bring the nation together. They hosted the Rugby World Cup in 1995. And rugby was like the symbol of white domination in, 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 in South Africa. The rugby team was an all-white team. And the blacks hated rugby because that was the sport of the blacks. And football was the sport of the that was the sport of the whites. And football was the sport of the white of the blacks. So they hated rugby. But he governed the nation together. They were like, look, we must support this our white brothers to win this cup to unite the nation. He managed to get the nation behind him. Yes, he had his opposition and everything. If you've watched the movie Invictus, it's about the, the story of the Rugby World Cup in 1995. When the white captain of white South Africa is speaking about Mandela, I, I watched an interview of this. He said that day of the final, they managed against all us to get to the final, and they were going to play against New Zealand. Those days, New Zealand was unbeatable. I mean, in rugby, New Zealand is like how Brazil is. Right now, Brazil, they are not seeing tough, but those days when they say Brazil is come to play against you, they must change their score 3 nil before you even start. They can give you 3 nil, but they'll come and pass you and beat you. New Zealand was like that. They had some deadly players, very, very good team. Against all the all, South Africa got to the final. And this captain said on the day of the final, before kickoff, when they were in the dressing room, all they saw was that the door had opened. There enters Nelson Mandela. A black man who is supposed to hate them, who is supposed to hate what they are doing, who is supposed to hate the sport, came and gave them a rousing, motivating speech. And the biggest motivation for him in particular was that when Mandela finished his speech and he turned around, he realized that Mandela was wearing the team's jersey and he was wearing his jersey number. He said that day he swore that if it means my head cutting, I will do whatever it takes to let this car stay in this country. They played above themselves, the match went into extra time, one last kick, and they won the cup, and the entire nation was unified. 1995, 1996, they hosted the African Cup of Nations, football, so it's time for the blacks too. So he said, the blacks supported the whites, and we brought the World Cup. And that was their first time they were playing in the African Cup of Nations because they had been exiled from sports for a very long time. 1996, Ghana met South Africa in the semi-final. That time I was in secondary school. That day I went into depression. They beat us like kids. 3-0. It was as if the black stars, they couldn't keep the ball. All kinds of things. They would measure you, susu, susu, sulia, everything. The guys were playing like they were possessed. Final, they caught Tunisia, 2-0, finished them. Two events. One man in the middle, unifying an entire nation. Because he was a man of peace. I pray that God will raise men of peace in this house. So peace is a very important thing. And the Bible says, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. All men means all categories of men. There are difficult men. They are easy to live with men. There are annoying men. And when we say men, it's unisex. It's both male and female. There are annoying men. Disappointing men, discouraging men, 
But the Bible says, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. As much as possible means you must do all you can. Even if it's difficult, keep trying. Even if it's not working, keep trying until you come to the point. Some people have decided that they, they get to the point where they can't do anymore very early. We try one or two, oh, I have reached my point. As much as I have tried, as much as possible. But when the Bible says walk in the spirit, what it means is that you must live against the flesh. The human flesh wants revenge. When you say something that is painful to me, I want to say something back to you. That is the instinct. But if you are walking in the spirit, you check your mouth. And if you are mature enough, instead of speaking an insult, you rather open your mouth and bless the person. Walking in the spirit means living against the dictates of the flesh. Living against what the flesh wants. As much as possible, live at peace with all men. I want to give you some five points. Things that will help you to be a very peaceful person. When we say somebody is, is not peaceful or somebody is quarrelsome, it doesn't, it's not just those who like insulting people and raising hell and, and things like that. People who, are, who don't like forgiving. They are not peacemakers. I'll give you five things. One, learn to say sorry. Very simple things. Learn to say sorry. Some people saying sorry is hard. It's like when it comes to sorry, S-O-R-R-Y. How many letters? Five letters. Their tongues become lead. Heavy. Very difficult to open your mouth and say those words. Sorry. You've been offending people every time. You ask yourself right now, when was the last time you said sorry? And then also ask yourself, when was the last time you offended somebody and you know that you offended the person? That means there's something wrong with you. And the truth is that if you go behind why a lot of people can't say sorry, the problem is a problem of subtle pride. The subtle pride. And when the Bible says no proud person will enter the kingdom of God, the, words of God, the word of God, you can't, you can't talk with the word of God. Pride is the only thing that attempted to overthrow God from his throne. So he hates pride and to an extent he fears it. So he's ensured that no proud person will come and join him there because the next time he may not survive that will be done. <laughs> and he will resist the proud. That's what the Bible says. If you can't say sorry, it just means you are proud. Pride doesn't mean you are walking with your shoulders some way and doing all kinds of things and hey, you are not my class, you are not in my level, etc. That's not the only thing. Not saying sorry is a sign of pride. One day the Apostle Paul, he went to face the Sanhedrin. And while he was talking, one of the people just slapped his mouth. Can you imagine how annoying it would be for your mouth to be slapped when you are busy <laughs> articulating? They slapped his mouth. Keep quiet. That kind of thing can entire your heart. And instinctively he opened his mouth and insulted the person. The Bible said he insulted him. He said, you whited wall. It doesn't sound like an insult, eh? Whited wall. It even sounds like Charlie. <laughs> whited wall. <laughs> Maybe say darkened or blackened wall. Uh-huh. You know, it's like a wall that they put whitewash, lime on it. But that was a very serious insult. And I'll tell you why. A whited wall in those days 
was a world that people urinated on. And it was called a whited wall because it had been painted with lime. How do we call it? Is that how we call it? That's calcium carbonate. And the whole idea is that, you see, what makes urine smell is ammonia in it. So when you urinate on that wall, the ammonia will react with the calcium carbonate and change it into something else to reduce the smell. So that's a whited wall. So if it says you are a whited wall, it means you deserve to be urinated upon. That was a very serious insult. And somebody told Paul, how can you open your mouth and say that? Don't you know the person you, you insulted is a priest? He was like, hey, a priest. And quickly, Paul reversed. He said, I didn't know you were a man of God. I'm sorry. If Paul can say sorry with all his anointing, with all his experiences, with all his raising the dead, how much more you? Sorry should come out of your mouth easily. I pray that God gives you the grace to say sorry. Christianity is not easy. When I say you, you live against the flesh. Jesus said when somebody slaps you on the right, don't run away. <laughs> don't slap him back. But instead, go against the laws of nature and flex your sternocleidomastoid muscle and spy the person from the corner of your eye anticipating pain probably greater than the one you felt earlier squeeze your eyes and receive another one that sounds like foolishness but true christianity means sometimes you must be a fool hallelujah sometimes we think we are right i will never say sorry i'll never break the silence because sometimes when you are fighting let's say with your roommate and oh these things they happen where you know, a little misunderstanding here and there and all of that in the room. You know, there's this cold silence and all of that. Somebody must break the silence. The fool must break the silence. And you, the Christian, you must be the fool. And you must break the silence. Hallelujah. Because when you let things stay for a very long time, that is what the devil wants. Whatever idea you have in your mind, you come, you add sugar to it. You add pepper to it. You add ginger to it. You mix it up. The time realized he has become a very sumptuous meal for himself, and he's just creating energy. Learn to come down from your high horses. In fact, this foolishness that I'm talking about is actually the higher life. The one who walk in pride and say, Oh, I am remaining there. If he's not going to come to talk to me, I'm not going to talk to him. Blah blah blah. You are the lower life person. The one who can move against the gradient of the flesh and the gradient of nature is the wiser one and is the one who is living the higher life. I pray that from today you will live the higher life. Point number two. Use less dramatic means to solve your problems with people. Some people are very dramatic. You offend them. You, I'm done with you. You are finished. To me, you don't exist. Hey! <laughs> dramatic means. And dramatic means also means using dramatic words. Do you think I'm a fool? Do you think I'm stupid? So they are done with you. They are finished with you. So they go to their phone. Contacts, deliver your name, delete. 
WhatsApp, block. Facebook, unfriend. Instagram, I don't know what they do. Unfollow. <laughs> they are finished. It's like you are finished. How can you tell somebody I'm finished with you? Imagine God telling you he's done with you. Just imagine if God telling you you are finished with you. You are done. Your life is over. Before you finish with somebody, sit down and look at your own weaknesses. Sit down, consider your own weaknesses. That you now you are not perfect. If you start listing your own weaknesses right now, your book, you'll be turning and writing and turning and writing and turning and writing. You have a whole episode. Your life are supposed to be episodes. Some people, the episodes they are writing, <laughs> it doesn't edify anybody. Look at your own life. Before you get angry with somebody, to the point of saying, I'm done. Look at your own life. Look at your own weaknesses. So don't use dramatic means to deal with people. Point number three. Learn to manage your frustrations. Learn to manage your frustrations. Give me John chapter 16, verse 33. You see, as for life, you face frustrations. John, John 16, 33. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that ye may have peace in the world, that ye may have peace. In the world ye shall have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If you understand the fact that this world, you will have tribulations. You will have difficult times. It's not every time that things will go the way you want. When frustrations come, you will know that this situation has come, but this one too shall pass. Because a lot of the troubles we have with people is because we are not managing our frustrations well. Look, life is frustrating. You've less, 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 and the exam came, the result didn't go well. Somebody comes and is trying to pull your ear. Charlie, if you do, I will sound you. I'm not in a good mood. <laughs> there are frustrations in life. Things will not always go the way you want the, the things to go. Things will not always move at the pace you want the, the, the things to move. But know that it's a normal part of life and Jesus is assuring you that he has overcome. So instead of pouring out your frustrations on the people around you, and you see, when you're frustrated, you can do a lot of hateful things. Hateful things. You speak very unkindly. You, you hate people. Your attitude is foul. You, you just create a very negative atmosphere and negative energy around you. It's a very bad thing to create negative. When I'm talking about, when I'm talking about somebody who is creating negative energy, I'm sure you, you can relate to what I'm talking about. Create negative energy around you. It's like around you, there's no joy, there's no happiness. You must learn to manage our frustrations. Frustrations will come, but Christ is assuring us that He has overcome. So instead of laying your frustrations upon people, He's saying, Me, I have overcome. So come and lay your burdens on me. Come and pour out your frustrations on me. And how do you pour out your frustrations to God? You do that in the place of prayer. When you are pouring out your frustrations in prayer, you are not hurting anybody. You are not causing anybody harm. You are not discouraging anybody. Jesus says, me, I will overcome. So just come and place the things on me. Hallelujah. Give me Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Frustration gives birth to anxiety. When you are frustrated, you become anxious. He said, be careful for nothing. Another version says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. 
So when you are anxious, when anxiety is coming in, the solution is that let it be known unto God. Go and pour your frustrations to Him. He asks for Him, you can talk to Him anyhow. Some people pray and they're like, God, why are you doing this to me? He doesn't mind. Have you seen God ever strike anybody for praying those kind of prayers? Somebody was like, God, ask for this my situation. Don't send your son, no. Calm yourself because it is not child's play. <laughs> hey, don't send your son. It's not child's play. So don't bring your son. You yourself, calm down. And come and deal with my situation. Sometimes those who have that kind of relationship with God, they get some results that even those who have the reverence, reverence kind of thing, they don't get. He said, pour out your frustrations on me. Leave the people that are around you. Leave your roommates alone. Leave your friend alone. Leave your beloved alone. They are not the cause of your problems. Pour out your frustrations unto God. Give me Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Proverbs 25, 28. He said, he that had no rule over his own spirit, it's like a city broken down and without walls. There are a lot of believers that are like a city whose walls are broken up because they are frustrated, they are anxious, they don't have a control over their spirit. They get anxious and they behave out of character. You are like a city without walls. And when you are a city without walls, that is when Satan can enter you. And use you to do all kinds of things. So build a wall around you by avoiding Falling prey to your frustrations and anxieties. There are some people you don't want them around you when there's trouble. Because you even have your peace of mind to think. Hey, this, 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 hey how is it going to eat this in there? We are finished. Oh, we are dead. Meanwhile, you need some silence to think of a solution. Take control over your spirit. Take control over your soul. Your inner man. There are times you need to speak to your soul, which is the seat of your emotions. Somebody said, Arise, O my soul, be strong and march forward. Learn to speak to your soul. Give me 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It said, Casting all your care upon him, for he does what? Careth for you. That is where you must lay your frustrations, not on the people around you. Fourth point, discipline your tongue. Discipline your tongue. Every peacemaker has discipline. Discipline your tongue. James 1.15. James 1.15. And all these plenty scriptures, when you go back, go and read them again. That is when you really internalize the word. Somebody did some research and realized that when you hear a sermon once, it's only about 11% of the things that you pick. That's why you have to keep going over and going over. By God's grace, very soon, our church app will be ready. It will be on Play Store very soon. And there will be a place for podcasts where all these messages will be there. So when we finish, it is uploaded. You go there, go and listen to it. Then when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Next verse. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You see, when we talk about lust, a lot of people think in terms of sexual lust and any desire that is not of God is lust. The desire for revenge is an attribute of lust of the flesh. 
And when you entertain these desires, at the end of the day, you end up sinning. Let's see James chapter 1 verse 26. James 1 26. He said, if any man among you seem to be religious or spiritual, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Replace the word religion in other versions, they say spiritual. So if you think you are spiritual, but you don't have the control over your tongue, your spirituality is in vain. When God is telling you your spirituality in vain, is in vain, anything that can make your spirituality useless or of, of, of now effect is something you must take seriously. When somebody offends you, the natural instinct is for you to open your mouth and say something to the person back. And you see, you must come to the point where you can swallow the words. You can swallow the words. Have the control over your tongue. Words are very, very, very powerful. Once they leave your mouth, that is it. It's gone. It can be healed, but it will heal with a scar. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. There are some people, their words, they pierce like the sword. The kind of words they choose, the kind of sentences they put together, they are words that will pierce you, they will hurt you. But they said, the wise man, the tongue of the wise is health. So the wise people, they speak and they make you feel okay, they make you feel good. I pray that you learn to bridle your tongue. Psalm 141 verse 3. This is a prayer everybody must pray. If you can pray it on a daily basis, pray it. Psalm 141 verse 3. It says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. It's a prayer you must pray all the time. It's like telling God, put passy guard, bungalow proof on my mouth. So that things that must not escape from it will not escape. When you're going to bat a dog, you have to put something. Is it muzzle? Is that what they call it? I pray that God will muzzle your mouth. The worst time to talk is when you are angry. Me, I've learned not to talk when I'm angry. Because at that time that you are angry, you can't weigh your words well. You will open your mouth and you will say something and it will cause irreparable damage to your relationship with the person. Learn to manage your anger. That is point number five. Learn to manage your anger. As you learn to manage your tongue, learn to manage your anger. Are we as Christians allowed to get angry? Yes, we are allowed to get angry. But there are terms and conditions that come with the anger. Nowadays, we download a lot of things from the net. There are terms and conditions and we don't read them. We just agree, accept, we agree. Somebody did some research and some terms and conditions, he put a clause in it that said, all of your children will be mine. If you, if you accept, there was some free internet something. All of your children and all of your properties will be mine. He put it in there. Nobody read it, all of them agree, 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 like that. 
So a lot of believers, we are walking around, we have accepted Christians, we have accepted a lot of believers, we don't know the terms and conditions. Anger, you are allowed to be angry as a believer, but there are terms and conditions. Open to Ephesians chapter 4, 26 to 27. Those are the terms and conditions. Be ye angry. So that means you are allowed to be angry. And sin not. A lot of people who get angry easily, their excuse is that even Jesus, even Jesus, he got angry and took a whip and went into the church and lashed the people. So me too, I'm allowed to. How many times did you see Jesus doing that? Wasn't it only once? So be angry. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Wrath and anger are the same. Neither give place to the devil. So those are the terms of and conditions. One, you can get angry, but make sure the anger doesn't get you to sin. Two, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. That means the lifespan of your anger should not be more than 12 hours. That's what it means. From sunrise to sunset is 12 hours. If you are angry with somebody for more than 12 hours, you are contravening scripture. You are being disobedient. And disobedience is sin. Judgment day will be very interesting though. You think you are some way, but when the mirror is put before you, of your, you realize that, hey, what I thought I was, that's not, that's not who I am. But the Bible says, judge yourself so that you will not be judged. And God has given us a very good mirror, which is the word of God. So see yourself in the light of the mirror of the word of God and start modifying yourself. Hallelujah. If you are angry for more than 12 hours, you have contravened scripture, you have been disobedient and you have sinned. That's what the Bible is saying. So he said what? If you are coming to give a sacrifice and you remember that you and your brother have an issue, go back and settle before you bring your Offertory. So that means if we start offertory right now and you dance, you come and put the thing in here. You must tell the one who keeps the money to refund. Go and make peace and come because that offertory is useless to God. It's useful for the church, but it's useless to God. <laughs> it's useless to God. Those are the terms and conditions. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 6. We'll be wrapping up in the next few minutes. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the wicked are to lie in the wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. Let's read Proverbs 19, 11. The discretion of a man deferred his anger, and it is his glory to pass over transgression. What it means is that the wise man will sort of pass an opportunity to be angry, or he defers the anger. It's like somebody does something to you. You can show anger, you can respond in an angry way immediately. But he's saying the discretion of a man deferred his anger and it is his glory 
to pass over a transgression. That means when you forgive somebody, when somebody does something to you, somebody says something to you, and you have a right to retaliate and you don't, it is to your glory. It is a feather in your cap. It is to your glory. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This one is straightforward. Proverbs 14.29 He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalted folly. Folly is a nice of saying foolishness. I have a certain sermon. I prepared it a long time ago, but I've not had the, the, the courage to preach it anyway. And some sermons, when you preach, placards may appear at the back. But I'll preach it in this church because I am the general overseer of this ministry. Hallelujah. You know the title? The Portrait of the Foolish Man. <laughs> I will gather all the scriptures that describe the foolish man. That day when you finish, when you go home, <laughs> you go and sit and take a second look at yourself. <clears throat> so he's saying folly. Hasty of spirit. He exalted folly. That some people, when they are angry, they don't react violently. But even in their calmness, there is violence in it. There's some people who know how to insult. It's like, they say when you want to see the real color of tea, put it in hot water. That's when the real color starts coming out. If you want to know if somebody is a dadabi, or the opposite of dadabi is halabi, they hala for life inside. A dadabi or halabi, Step on his toes. The Arabi will say, Ouch. The Arabi will say, Ajay. That's the litmus test. Alpha, shall I come and step on your toes? <laughs> and see which of you are. Ouch. <laughs> Our church is full of Arabis. That means our tithe will be big, our offerings will be big. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some people. They are not violent about their anger, but even in the calmness, they are very caustic in the things that they say. There's a teacher that I had in school. I'm finishing with this story. They used to call him a name he didn't like. They used to call him S.S. Apapa, and he didn't like it. He had a certain way of walking. So he'd walk in, and the students, JHS students, following him. S.S. Apapa. So one day, some of them were following him, S.S. Apapa. He kept quiet. SS Apapa, he kept quiet. SS Apapa, the one who was leading the gun, he just turned. Instead of being angry and just like you, because your mouth is long, you think you were a dog. <laughs> think about the insult word. Just a very serious insult. Word. Because your mouth is long, you think you were a dog. And he didn't end there. Said my friend, stop barking. <laughs> this one, you have not only insulted your looks, but your senses and sensibility. That means you think looking like being a dog is big time. That 
tell him there's something seriously wrong with you. This is worse than him giving him a five guard and finger salute and shouting all infectives. But I pray that God will bridle our tongues and soften our hearts. I pray that any bitterness in your heart will be taken away and any unforgiveness in your heart will be taken away. When we are looking for predisposing factors for sicknesses, most of the time we say, oh, as for alcohol and smoking, they are predisposing factors for everything. Me, I say bitterness and unforgiveness. Don't go and say that in an exam. They will drive you out of the room. Shall we stand to our feet? <laughs>